0: welcome to scuderia f1 the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest formula one news follow us on twitter at scuderia f1 pod and subscribe to the show on itunes and stitcher now here are your hosts mark daly and kevin laramay
1: Good day, good night, and welcome to Scuderia F1's podcast. It is always up to speed with Formula One. I'm Kevin Laramie, and as always, Mark Daly. Good evening, Mark.
2: Good evening, Kevin. Are you all ready for Halloween?
1: I actually am. I carved my first pumpkin in about two decades tonight, and that was actually uh, <laughs> quite impressive. I did not do the F1 logo or the Lewis Hamilton face on my pumpkin. My uh, my carving talent are not as, uh, as good as uh, Lewis Hamilton's Talent on the track, but uh, just two eyes, a nose, and a mouth, and I uh, think they'll do it.
2: There you go. I know some people are uh, completely go over the top when it comes to the Halloween pumpkins and the carvings, and. No, honestly, I don't have the dexterity for that. So if I can't even carve a pumpkin, I will, well, let's just put it this way. I'm not going to be challenging Lewis Hamilton for a world championship anytime (laughs) soon. But talking about Lewis, he sealed his fifth world title on Sunday in the thin air in Mexico City after, well, he didn't win the race and, but he didn't need to. He just uh, kept it nice and tidy. He finished in fourth position behind the two Ferraris and Max Verstappen, and that's all he needed to do to to seal the deal i mean yeah. it's been a foregone conclusion <laughs> for about a month <laughs> <True>. <laughs> but a month
1: it's, it's been even more than that but in technical terms yes you're right but ever since we started seeing sebastian vettel commit mistakes i kind of knew it doesn't matter if Vettel car is better he can't finish races he can't finish opening laps it's been mm. a difficult year and lewis hamilton his new nickname it's really, I think, it's fascinating to me, and this is st- started the actual broadcast of uh, Sky Sports, and anywhere you watch your, uh, the international feed started with the same little video package where you see a metronome, and uh, Lewis Hamilton, the metronome, that's his, that's his new nickname for me, and that's how he won a championship, by having a constant speed, a constant speed, and the speed in this conversation is results. Constant yep. results all season long gives you a championship.
2: Absolutely. And, I mean, it, it's interesting that when you kind of dial it back to the summer, I guess, beginning of the summer when they uh, Mercedes, that is, had that double DNF in Austria when uh, Botas was leading, and then he dropped out, and then Hamilton dropped out. That was kind of the low point for them, and it seems whenever they've been dealt this adversity, and like it was last year at at Monaco where they were completely uncompetitive, they came back after that, and then in Canada, it was it was on <laughs> when they got to Montreal, and they never looked back. And uh, the, it was same this year that they they dealt with that adversity when they needed to, and they've been pretty dominant ever since. And of course, Vettel, when you look at, it, I think it was something he dropped something like seventy points over the course of the entire year, that's
1: and of insane. course that's, that's yeah, insane, that's huge, Mark. right? Seventy points drop, he wins the championship no disregard what hamilton could ever do this year mm-hmm. this is uh which is a bit a shame for lewis hamilton but as much as we want to congratulate lewis hamilton on five world championship for the drivers this one for me is going to be remembered not only as the win for hamilton but a championship lost for sebastian vettel and yeah. i think that's a that's as important as the win for hamilton because sebastian vettel throughout the last few months lost the championship on his own not because of his car not because of bad strategies of his team because of bad temper because of bad rookie mistakes and if there's one driver that should not do rookie mistakes it's sebastian vettel so congratulations lewis hamilton and but it's still a championship loss for Vettel well it's
2: interesting when you kind of go back and look at the problems and the, the the different races where he's thrown away yeah. points yes uh, Sebastian has gone and said that was it was uh, actually uh, it was Singapore that was the turning point in the championship for him and not uh, Germany where he crashed out leading the race when that rain came down in the latter stages but you know <laughs> it, it's like I've said over the past couple of uh, weeks I mean you can pinpoint these sort of key moments here or there but even in Germany that was only that that was 25 points that he gave away there so that's only just about a third of what uh, what he conceded the entire year and when it kind of snowballs the way it is it really is the championship that that Sebastian lets uh, get away from himself and and Lewis just being the driver that he is consistent but, and and fast and uh, mistake free <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's that's what he just needed to do. I mean, it's not the old days in, in Formula One where you have like a six race season <laughs> like they did in the, the 1950s. Yeah. Maybe it maybe was a little bit more than six, but I mean, it's 21 Grand Prix. I mean, we've been going at this thing now since the beginning of March of this year and we still have another month to go. Basically, I mean, we're still going to Brazil in, in uh, the, the week after next. And then it's Abu Dhabi, <clears throat> excuse me, at the end of the month. So. Could you imagine if it would uh, sort of turned out like 2016 if they were neck and neck, Vettel and Hamilton, that is just like Hamilton and yeah. uh, Rosberg, Rosberg were pretty close to a couple of years ago. So it is uh, it's amazing to think that its it's gone this long, but it, it really was a foregone conclusion at least a month, if not six weeks ago. And uh, really, Z- Sebastian is going to be thinking about all the uh, the, uh, the, the the points that he threw away and you, you could tell you, you could tell after the race on Sunday, despite finishing second to doing everything he needed to do. I mean, nobody was really a match for the Red Bulls no. or, or especially they weren't a match for Max Verstappen. But you could tell that the reality was really starting to set set in for Sebastian Vettel that since it was yeah. finally uh, th- a done deal that he, he was, you know, no longer in contention. It was Lewis's title. You could tell it was starting to hit him pretty hard.
1: Oh yeah, very hard. Uh, just after the race, when the drivers get out of their car, and uh, they're to uh, to a journalist or to a known face this time around. It was David Coulthard, mm-hmm. former driver for, of course, McLaren, uh, of all places, and other other teams as well. And David Coulthard uh, talked to Sebastian Vettel. Sebastian. Where do you think you, you lost this championship? And Sebastian Vettel coldly says, I'm not going to answer that right now, David. I'm just going to go see, see Hamilton and congratulate him. And then he got out of Dodge, and he <laughs> skipped the rest of the questioning. I thought that was a bit telling. Of course, his reactions uh, after the podium ceremony, his reaction during the press conference, and uh, his, uh, his hands, his face in his hands, and his realization that I blew it. I blew it this year. It's on <laughs> me. It's on me. That's the reaction. That's the face. That's the emotion. So it was uh it was for me telling that uh, Vettel was realizing, yeah, I gave it to you this year, Lewis. But next year is another year.
2: Well, that's the thing and I mean in fairness to Ferrari, I mean they have not been quite there over the past couple of years compared to Mercedes. I mean, they made a big step forward last year where they were more competitive and uh, winning quite regularly. But this year, I mean, it, it's been back and forth between Mercedes and Ferrari. But it was just that, that that time after Monza, after the Italian Grand Prix, is where Mercedes was just able to step it up another level and they were really able to to deliver. I mean, Ferrari just didn't have the pace to match them until they took the new pieces off the car and put the old pieces back on that seemed to work uh, much better so that was a uh, an interesting bit or a point in the season that the the aero upgrades that Ferrari had made later yeah. in the season actually hurt them more than uh, than was supposed to help them but it uh, it it was also i think one of the the moments that must have been sort of uh, kind of struck home i think for sebastian Vettel. is right at the end where they have the podium in that stadium section the old baseball stadium at uh at the uh, autodromo Hermanos uh rodriguez and so the first three cars first second third they pull up and then all of a sudden they pull out this sign and it's like a, sort of the the world champion lewis hamilton this gold thing and he sort of pulls up the sides there and it's like yeah that's that's pretty real that's gonna <laughs> sort of <play.">
1: that's <laughs> you're gonna cold, Be like you're gonna hit home pretty hard right there could you have waited till I walk away? Till I'm putting the sign. Could you have waited till I actually tasted defeat before celebrating the champion? Well, but eh, it's all it's all fun and games, right? It's part of the job. You, you lose, and uh, the other guy is going to be celebrated right in front of you. But but just speaking speaking of celebration, mm-hmm. Max Verstappen won his fifth Grand Prix, fifth race in his career, second straight win in Mexico. Uh, there's something about. Red Bull or the Renault engine in Mexico and we we're talking about this before starting the show is the air is really more thin in Mexico and not just the fact that it's thinner it's also very polluted it's not as bad as it used to be and I experienced it firsthand in 2015 when I was in Mexico City but it is thinner you can actually feel it if you walk just a few flights of stairs or just walk uphill for about five minutes you're like oh yeah uh, yeah, I can feel it. So, for a car going at those speeds and with the over reliance on aerodynamics that those cars do possess, the fact that the air is thinner does give advantage to a powerful engine. And if the rest of the aero is just okay, you have a good car. And we've seen Ricardo getting the pole, and we've seen Verstappen winning. The race with a great move in the first lap, and he was there. He was a bit not a daredevil, but he was daring, making sure he had the inside track on Lewis Hamilton there, and just squeaking by. And he wasn't uh, really bothered after that point. But there's something to be said about the performance of the Red Bull in Mexico
2: absolutely and also um christian hornier the uh, team principal at uh, at red bull also said after the race that credit where credit is due and renault was able to deliver the goods as well i mean you look at, it was a, a red bull front row lockout when was the last time that we've said that i mean 2013 since, i think it's the exactly. first time since
1: 2013
2: Yeah. And we've never said that on this show because the show wasn't (laughs) around in 2013. So it was a first, but it it wasn't just the two Red Bulls. If you look a little bit further down the grid in seventh and eighth, you had the two works Renault cars, Nico Hulkenberg and Carlos Sainz were, were right. uh, Well, pretty close time wise. Uh, ...with each other and, well, Fernando Alonso a little bit further back in 12th... ...but considering where McLaren has been over the past several weeks... ...that was actually quite a leap forward (laughs) for for Fernando.
1: You're right, uh, because that car is so bad that there's only so much that a Renault... (laughs) ...that a good Renault engine can do to to make that car better. But no, and that's what I was thinking too when I was seeing the result of the qualifying... ...and then watching the race and seeing the result of uh, the performance of the car... 375 kilometers per hour in the speed trap for rebel ball for rebel yeah for the renault engine that's
2: insane that's insane speed it's incredible the speeds that the that they're doing there just in the like you say in the thinner air and with the uh, the power that these engines are delivering i mean it's absolutely mind blowing how fast they're actually that's going it is almost it is 400
1: else. can you imagine I, yeah. maybe the day does exist when one day we'll see 400 kph in a speed trap granted Oops. in his speed trap which is usually at the one point on the track where the speed is the greatest and it's never a sustained speed which is mm-hmm. a big difference you can't drive a car 400, miles, 400 kilometers an hour especially trying to turn it but a mm. speed trap of 475 this is not far away from 400 and that's insane
2: Well, it's the thing. I mean, each and every year there's always uh, improvements that are made on the cars and they, they seem to get faster in straight line speeds, faster through the corners. So who knows, maybe they'll find that extra 25 kph somewhere along the line. But Kevin, just I, I wanted to talk now just to quickly about the, the the starting grid. Just to, if you look at the Q3 times, you have Danny Ricardo who uh, took his first, uh, or not his first pole position, but uh, the, the, the the pole with a time of 114.759, about three hundredths uh, ahead of his teammate Max Verstappen with a 114.755. Lewis Hamilton in third position with a 114.894. And then Sebastian Vettel in fourth position with a 114.970. <laughs> not really all that much. Just a couple of tenths of a second just to separating those uh, th- those first uh, t- uh, four cars. And even Raikkonen and Bottas, not really all that far behind. I mean, the, the first six cars definitely... All less than that, the half a second, about three and a half or four tenths of a second off of one another. I mean, wh- when you look at it, it's like, oh, that sounds quite a lot. But uh, three tenths or, or, or four nothing, tenths yeah. seconds is very, very quick. So impressive that they were all there. But the, the, the start was something else, too. And like you say, Max Verstappen, aggressive doing Max Verstappen things. And Lewis, of course, just trying to keep his nose clean. And, of course, just trying to keep the bigger picture in mind. Making sure that he keeps, uh, you know, keeps out of danger, keeps out of trouble, and, and make sure that the car doesn't get uh, get damaged. But there was all sorts of things going on in that first lap, and uh, Esteban Oca, he got uh, bumped uh, around a couple of times uh, during that race, but uh, very much it, it looked like, well, let, let's just put it this way: when they went into that first corner and Max Verstappen came out in first position, I really did not expect that race to end with Max on the podium and the two Ferraris I, either side.
1: No, you had a Hamilton in second, Ricardo yep. third, and then the Ferraris.
2: Yeah, it, it's really interesting how the... Well, I, I think one thing that really caught me by surprise was just the, the amount of tire degre- uh, degradation that they had because when you're kind of looking at the beginning of the race, it's like, okay, well, if you're going to use this tire, uh, this tire to start the race and you're going on a two-stop, one-stop, whatever it was... But when you saw the tire degradation going on, and you saw these guys are starting on like the, uh, the the hypersofts or the ultrasofts. Just to think, okay, well they're pitting after X amount of laps. It might have been about laps. a dozen laps or something like that. Even like on a one-stop strategy or even a two-stop strategy, kind of see seemed like a very long stretch to make these tires last uh, you know any length of uh, amount of time. Considering, okay, well they burned through a fr- the the first set of tires in the first twelve or fifteen laps you know it's a 71 lap race are you going to make that next set of tires go as long as uh, you can and and actually well if you look at the uh, the the final race classification Stoffel van Dorn, he finished in P8 for the McLaren uh, Fernando uh, retired uh, early on in the race but that was uh, I mean Stoff was uh, two laps down but the tire management uh, was one of the things that uh, that he was praised for by uh, by uh, by the McLaren team for for getting that far but uh, it was just you could tell guys were having problems uh, the yeah. entire time.
1: and Well, um, I have a theory th- for that, Mark. I have a theory for why uh, tire degradation and weird tire behavior throughout the weekend we see. And I, it does have to do, in my mind, with the thin air, with the over-reliance of those cars with aerodynamics and how the, the aerodynamics on the cars generate downforce on the tires because if you create downforce it still relies on the one point of contact of the car with the track which is the tires and mm-hmm. if there's a bit less downforce the tires will react differently than usually or than you anticipate and of course they anticipate this but it's a, it's a tough mathematical uh, equation to trying to get the right pressure of air to uh, on the tires yes but to get the right density of the air at this altitude at a mile high where Mexico is and to Mexico City and to get the right equation of okay so we have less downforce generated by this can we generate a bit more downforce mechanically with the springs and the suspensions to counterbalance that and and it's all a lot of equations that could explain for me at least and maybe I'm erring here but I think it has something to do with those tire degradation is the fact that because there's a bit less downforce for everyone, mm-hmm. the cars that are over-reliant on downforce might see a bigger problem with the tires, and I think that was the case for the Mercs in this one, and I think it might have been the case for others too, and it could explain the weird tire behaviors we have seen throughout the weekend in Mexico.
2: Well, basically, uh, to sum up what you're saying, or at least this is how I'm interpreting it. it's uh, saying by the, the lack of downforce caused by the thinner air is making the tire, the, the, the grip... A less, little less efficient. So not getting that sort of the, the same maximum amount of contact that you have between yeah. the asphalt and the rubber. So in effect, you're getting like a little bit of wheel spin or, or slippage or whatever you are. And from there, the, 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 the rubber starting to, to come apart. I mean, we, we've seen at other races this year where the tire deg was, uh, was an issue, but it, it seemed like everybody was kind of uh, dealing with it. Uh, I mean, it seemed a lot quicker than than usual. I mean, th- this wasn't like somebody running 40, 50 laps on one set of tires. Yeah. But, I mean, to see some of, like, these very soft compounds literally falling to pieces after a dozen or 15 laps was, uh, was rather unusual. But talking about things falling apart, Danny Ricardo, again, another DNF, the guy is in – I got to admit, Kevin, I'm really – feeling sorry for Danny Ricardo. But you know, it's kinda of strange. It seems ever since he made that announcement he's going to Reno. <laughs> get 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 your tinfoil hats on here, guys. Exactly. It, it seems that he's had so many DNFs in the what was it, eight in a row now? I mean this I this past week was a clutch issue that uh That uh, prevented him from uh, winning that race. I mean, he looked like he was on for a podium. I mean, he wasn't as fast.
1: He did not have the the best of start. Hamilton and uh, Verstappen clearly had a better start than him. But uh, you're right. If my tinfoil hat was on, Mark, I could believe that maybe a mechanic here and there, you know, gives the the better of two parts. There's two identical parts, but one that seems a bit better. Here you go, Max. Here you go. (laughs) Well,
2: you know, Kevin, it's kind of funny. I mean, it's a little bit tongue in cheek there, but. It is kind of amazing, like just how bad his luck has been, and and Ricardo himself even said after the race that he's ready to hand over what he's calling a quote cursed car to Pierre Gasly. So I mean, uh,
0: <laughs> Ricardo <laughs> is
2: definitely thinking about. 2019 and he must just be dreading these last two races in brazil and abu dhabi considering the luck that he's had i mean i think he just wants to finish a race now i don't think he cares where he finishes i think he
1: just (laughs) wants to see a checkered flag i think he just wants the season to be over quite frankly doesn't even like you know at this point two dnfs means two short sundays of work i can go back home a bit early maybe that's the the goal too but uh, there's a lot of travel involved in the next month too for f1 drivers right because they're leaving mexico city back to Europe most majority of them back to their home in Monaco wherever they live majority of them is in Monaco because of tax purposes of course so uh, a lot of them going to back to Monaco and then travel back to Brazil in about a week and a half time
2: yeah and then after that uh, we got a couple more weeks uh, between the Brazilian Grand Prix and then the, the the season finale in Abu Dhabi so Definitely, a lot of frequent fly- uh, flyer miles are going to be racked up over the next uh, month or so. And well, you know, e- even though that Lewis has wrapped up the drivers' championship, there is the the the, the matter of the constructors' championship still to um, you know for for the two teams. I mean, Lewis, of course, he's three fifty eight two ninety four mathematically that was a, a done deal. But the constructors is a little bit closer between uh, Mercedes and Ferrari. Silver arrows are on top with five hundred eighty five points. Uh, compared to 530 for Ferrari, so that's only a 55 point gap. So, you know, there could be some things that could happen. But again, again it's, realistically, it's, yeah. if Ferrari's going to win it, they're going to need some help from the from the motor racing gods <laughs> that something goes wrong with the with the two Mercedes cars over these last two races. Because don't you just think now that with the, there was in Hungary there was the comment that uh, that Botas was. Uh, you know the, the uh, what did Wolf say? Now he was the ideal wingman to uh, to Lewis, and then in in Russia, of course, more recently he pulled out of the way to let Lewis by. I mean, he's been the te- like the, the the perfect teammate. I mean, he knew that uh, for some time that his title challenge was over, and so he was doing everything he could to help his teammate. And of course, he had that uh, that problem where he had that debris in Baku while he was leading, and then of course in Austria, so he's he's had his own fair share. Of bad luck, and I believe Lewis even said a couple of races ago that uh, that he would try and help uh, Valtieri win a couple of races before the end yeah. of the year. So I think that's what Lewis is going to do. I think he's going to be I, he's going to be the ultimate teammate. Now he's going to try and help uh, botas win a couple of races, and of course try and help the Mercedes win another uh, constructors' championship, which would be what their fifth in
1: a row, something like that. It would be, I think, their fifth in a row. So. Yeah. That is probably a foregone conclusion too at this point. Outside of Ferrari getting one twos for the last next two races and the Mercs being close outside of the points, there's like almost no mathematical chance that it's actually going to happen. So we'll see. We mentioned Renault, how they were good. Uh, the engine in this one. Red Bull, of course, winning this race and getting the pole with Ricardo, winning with Verstappen. So it bodes well for the future for Renault. And even Renault, the works team, Finished sixth with Hulkenberg here. And they weren't lucky for signs, but at least finished sixth with Hulkenberg. And the future's starting to maybe look good. If that engine can be as good with next year's uh, regulations, we'll see what happens. But, you know, maybe Ricardo's choice wasn't a, a out-of-left-field choice with a result like this. Because I can see the Renault engine being a bit better even next year, especially for Renault now that they don't have that contract over their head that they have to give their best to to Red Bull. Because Renault, basically, yes, you make the best engine, they keep them for themselves too, but they have to give the exact same things to Red Bull. Now Renault becomes their first priority, and I do feel it's going to make a change. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Renault maybe get a win even next year.
2: Well, the thing is, too, that um, since Renault has come back into the sports, and well, of course, they had that uh, that that first year back. That, that it was basically a Renault badged Lotus. So, yeah. I mean, that was a transition year. But I mean, we have seen them improve over the past couple of seasons. But the one thing that they've had is they haven't had a top driver. I mean, Hulkenberg. I mean, he's he's good, but I mean, he's not a Vettel. He's not a Hamilton. He's not a, a Ricardo. And I think getting a guy like I was sorry
1: I was sorry to drop. I just said science has been disappointing for me too in Renault this year.
2: Yeah, I mean, that that too has been an interesting situation. Just the way that all sort of, I mean, it was kind of like the I guess the quintessential Formula One politics thing last year, where you had uh, Honda who had spent a lot of money to come back into Formula One and uh, partner up with McLaren. Of course, we don't need to go back and revisit that soap opera for too long. But of course, uh, when when they did get back to F1, the, the engine wasn't all that great. There was reliability issues. They were down on power. And uh, McLaren is just, was bashing them all over the place and ended up breaking that contract with them the first uh, moment that they had. And I think that's the only reason that they went to Toro Rosso was I'm sure that behind the scenes there was somewhere some someone in Tokyo made a phone call to someone in Formula One saying, hey, you know, well, we spent a lot of money to, to you know, to invest in our this Formula One engine program. And if we're without the opportunity to supply a team for for 2018, I mean, that's that's a huge problem for us. And, we, you know, we'll never maybe we'll never come back again. Something like that. I mean, you can imagine that sort of conversation uh, being had. So, of course, uh, then there was uh, some some discussion at some point that they were going to supply Sauber. Then that didn't happen. And then uh, they uh, went to go and supply Red Bull. Sorry, not Red Bull, but uh, Toro Rosso. And then uh, ultimately uh, this year, Red Bull themselves decided to take on the uh, the, the Honda engines themselves. But uh, it, it's it's very, very interesting, though. The, just the way how the whole driver thing kind of worked out as well too because Science is a Red Bull driver and he was driving for Toro Rosso and then gets loaned over to Renault and it's just been uh, a very very confusing thing but it it really kind of made sense that once you kind of saw what was going on that that uh, that Science would be the odd man out I mean he's the Red Bull guy in the the the, the Renault you've got uh, Danny Ricardo who's well, he, he was talking about it, and that was the interesting thing saying that he was on the verge of signing a new contract with uh, with Red Bull, and then surprisingly, he goes and announces that at Renault. But of course, it would make sense that Sainz would be the guy to go because, I mean, he is the Red Bull driver, and of course, you know, Red Bull and has been trashing Renault for years, and they, they don't want to keep any one of their drivers. They're happy to take one of their best drivers, but they don't want to keep any one of their other drivers around. So, but he has been, I mean, he's had a couple of moments here or there but they've been too far and too few between to really i think uh deserve keeping that that seat so i mean mclaren yeah well i mean from a historic point of view it's kind of cool to go to mclaren but
1: <laughs> it's, you know realistically yeah, it's, i mean it's, it's like backwards. playing uh it's like playing for the montreal canadians in hockey it's like yeah. yeah this this team is 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 uh very successful back in the day but uh yeah. what have you done for me lately Uh, Before we start to uh, look at the next two races, Mark, uh, news came out a few days ago as well. Magnus Eriksson, the driver for Sober that uh, has no drive, well, he actually has one right now in IndyCar. He's taken over for the injured Robert Wickens for next year. He's going to be driving for Schmidt-Peterson Motorsport in a full season in IndyCar.
2: Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, he is the 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 latest uh, F one driver to go there. I mean, that that's uh, that's nothing new, but it just uh, seems. I, I mean, he he's had a good run in Formula One. He's just sort of shy of a hundred races in, uh, in in the series. But I mean, he was one of these guys that was only ever really there because he had a a fairly hefty sponsorship uh, package uh, behind him. And I mean, it's, it it's been pretty apparent uh, this year what the uh, the the difference between. Marcus Ericsson and, uh, and Charles Leclerc has been at uh, at Sauber. I mean, Leclerc has just been so much better in a car that's all right. It's not great. I mean, it's your sort of, I guess, typical middle of the pack kind of Formula One car. But the, the, the difference in quality between the two and what uh, Leclerc is able to get out of the car compared to Ericsson has just been literally night and day. So oh, yeah. obviously, what with everything turning around and then. Kimmy supposedly going on is of his own accord to race at Sauber next year for the next two seasons, so 2019 and 2020. And then just the deal that Sauber has with Ferrari allows them to nominate a driver, which was uh, Antonio Giovinazzi, who's going to drive there next year. I mean, it just kind of seemed a a bit of a foregone conclusion. But it, it's kind of really interesting how quickly Sauber has really changed around in the last year when crept <laughs> with the... A-
1: they're not a bottom feeder anymore. They're like almost could be the fourth exactly. or fifth or sixth best team in this in this uh, this part.
2: Well, you had the previous team pre- principal Manisha Caldenborn who was uh, running the show there, and then last year, of course, they had the 2016 engines and the 2017 car, which was a completely different animal. I mean, it was underpowered to be very very generous I mean, <laughs> in, the, in that uh, in, in that comment. But ever since uh, Vasura has taken over, I mean, the, the team seems more legit. You know, they've got that uh, Ferrari investment in them. They got the Ferrari engine, the current yeah. spec. You know, they got that Alfa Romeo
1: sponsorship
2: on the car. I mean, they got they, that they,
1: sweet, sweet looking livery on that car. Yeah. That car looks great. Sponsor, you know, it, it might seem trivial, but mm-hmm. if your car looks good, if your car looks. If it makes the uniform look good and make everything else look a bit more legit and it makes you more attractive to, for bigger sponsor and after a season like this where they did good good results charlotte Clough finished seventh in this one again yep. so more points Eric's in ninth so we get a lot of points still for a team like sauber the the hunt for sponsorship for the next couple of years is going to be easier and when you're your good driver gets signed by Ferrari. It's, it's another good look on you, and it gives you more ammunition for negotiations where it's easier to convince a French sponsor to be like, you know what, I'm going to take the plunge with you instead of going with Williams because, well, you guys are better.
2: Yeah, well, not only that, I mean, uh, like, like you say, I mean, they do look uh, legit. I mean, uh, they've had some good results, but uh, they're getting... A very very good driver, albeit uh, a guy at the end of his career, and Kimi Räikkönen, who's had a bit of a, a renaissance over the past, I don't know, say two two months or so. So he he's finishing this year on um, on a good note, and I can't keep thinking to myself, you know, if Kimi had raced the last couple of years like he has the last couple of months, who knows what things uh, would have would have been like? I mean, <laughs> I mean, we we've been kind of critical about uh, him not being able quite uh, able to match uh, Vettel. The last, uh, you know, couple of seasons since uh, they've been uh, the the Ferrari duo. But, anyways, for him to go to Sauber and then to get a guy that uh, that has uh, some potential like Giovinazzi, mm-hmm. but a couple of drives last year. I mean, I mean, he did, I think, fairly decently uh, given the circumstances in the Sauber. That that 2017 Sauber that was probably one of the worst cars in Formula One that we've seen in the the, the past couple of years until. Ferrari, or sorry, not Ferrari, uh, but Williams and uh, McLaren said, "Well, hold my beer. Let's see if we can make one <laughs> worse." Anyway, that's a different story. But um, you know, all joking aside, I mean, Giovinazzi did have a couple of uh, good outings in Australia, in China last year. So who knows? I mean, the, they they do feel uh, a lot more legit. Uh, they, they they seem like uh, the, uh, the 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 resources and. Um, the abilities that they have now to uh, design a car and put a, a package together—it's good to see them moving back up because I mean they were they were struggling the last couple of years, and it's always really sad to see a team struggling at the back of the grid like uh, like they are or were. So it, it's nice to see. And but just on a sort of a related note, it's not very nice to see Williams and uh, McLaren <laughs> struggling back there. But I guess that's the cycle of Formula One.
1: It is the cycle of Formula One. Who would have thought? that one day Williams will become Minardi because that's (laughs) what they are right now. Yeah.
2: Isn't that amazing, right? I mean, to think, uh, Oh, I mean, if you kind of look at it, it wasn't really all that long ago. It was only like in the past couple of seasons where they basically were the, the best of the rest, scrapping it out there with, uh, with Red Bull for whatever Ferrari and, uh, and uh, Mercedes were leaving as table scraps. But they have uh, really dropped off uh, the the face of the earth in, in in very short order. And the thing is uh, just the way that Formula One moves and develops so quickly that, you know, it, it can really turn around fast. And, you know, you can literally drop into obscurity like uh, we've seen those two very storied and successful teams. So it's kind of sad to see. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's it's a shark tank. <laughs> you got to keep a flow to your toast.
1: Yep, exactly. Before we wrap up the show for this week, Mark, uh, one rumor that is gaining a lot of traction. Ooh, love uh, rumors. Yeah, a possible return for a driver in Formula One for next year. Another Mexican, and this rumor stems out of Mexico, Esteban Gutierrez could be back in Formula One as early as next year.
2: That's interesting. Well, we di- we still know that there's a couple of seats that uh, that that are up for for grabs. I mean, uh, the, the the Williams situation is still hasn't been decided. The Force India Racing Point Force India, whatever they want to call themselves, is still up for debate for that second seat. Although, I mean, it seems to be a pretty obvious <laughs> conclusion that Lance yes. Stroll will be driving there next year. But uh, the the second seat. At Toro Rosso, for example, hasn't really been decided upon for next year. I mean, there's been some names thrown around there, and even Brendan Hartley is supposedly has a, an opportunity to sort of showcase his talents over the the, the last couple of races to uh, you know make a case to to come back uh, next year. I mean, he finished uh, in P14 this past weekend. Yeah. His teammate uh, Pierre Gasly finished in P10 to get uh, a single point. So. Uh, you know Hartley. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be I, you know, in all fairness to the guy. I mean, I I, I don't think uh, he has a realistic shot to come back. No. I mean, there are some other capable drivers out there. So I mean, but Gutierrez, that is an interesting name. So he would have been out of Formula One the last two seasons now, yes. correct?
1: And he's an in IndyCar this year. He was an in IndyCar this year. And the thinking behind this is it, it will probably be for Toro Rosso too, because mm-hmm. the uh, the the talent pool of Red Bull is getting real low real quick. Uh, Not that they don't have good drivers. They do still in the academy, but they're too young and they don't have enough super license point and there's no way for them to get them for next year because you need to to get those points before you're uh, granted a super license. Esteban uh, Gutierrez, having already raced in Formula 1 for a long time, has those points right now and the fact that they re-signed Kvyat is not a stranger to that technicality of having a super license and super license points so even though he got docked a few last time he raced but he still has their super (laughs) license right so maybe for Toro Rosso 2019 you would have Danny Kvyat and Esteban Gutierrez
2: well it's interesting I mean it could happen and the, the the whole Toro Rosso and their their young driver program and just the fact that they have a lot of good drivers in the pipeline, but nobody, like you say, with enough super points to or enough points to, to have that super license kind of really blows me away with a, you know, a, a company that that really has things lined up and everything sorted out. I, I really find that that fascinating. And just also to see, you know, Kvyat back now, because, I mean, he was booted out of uh, formula one before the end of last season. I mean, did I can't even remember. Did science go he, to Renault before they are li- yeah, go there? He,
1: he used to be for Red Bull. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the thing. He went from Red Bull to Toro <laughs> Rosso to home.
2: Well, that's right. I mean, he started that uh, 2016 season with uh, Red Bull. I mean, alongside Danny Ricardo. And then after a couple of races, it was a done deal because by the time they got to Spain, Max Verstappen had been elevated from Toro Rosso. He was in Red Bull. He won his first Grand Prix. And whereas uh, Max's career has kind of uh, you know continued to go up and up and up and seemingly has no top, uh, no roof at this point in time, Kvyats went all the way down, down, down into the basement and, like you say, out of Formula One and then was like a, what a test driver at, uh, at Ferrari. But just uh, amazing, a guy that was kind of really tossed out of Formula One. By uh, by by Red Bull is you know coming back in and it's just it, again I I guess it's just the nature of Formula One it's uh you know what have you done for me lately or what can you do for me right now
1: yeah it's more and, what can and, you do for me and uh come on come back <laughs>
2: well uh, well let, let's just put it this way at least with Kvyat at Toro Rosso and Roman Grosjean at Haas at least they're not in the same team so. You know, heaven forbid if you're any other driver standing <laughs> you know, you know, one of those guys next year. So if you're 15th and
1: 16th and you hit each other, there's only three four cars behind you that you're actually going to impede. So <laughs> it's better That's than when strange. he was at Red Bull. <laughs> it was way, way too close when it was like the third guy hitting the second guy and then Vettel losing his mind. But yeah, so we're <laughs> looking forward, Mark, to uh, the Brazilian Grand Prix in two weeks and then Abu Dhabi the constructors championship is literally what is left to be won mm-hmm. this year
2: well that's true and then also I was just thinking as you were saying that uh, well you know we got Brazil next week I was thinking what is there to look forward to to Brazil this year and unlike the last 2 years we don't have a Felipe <laughs> Massa so for the so last 2 th-
1: years yeah you're right this <laughs> time it's true <laughs>
2: Yeah, so I guess we, we're just going to have to uh, make do with the, the actual racing on the track. But in all seriousness, Interlagos is a, is a, is a pretty good circuit. It's a little bit old school and uh, it's a little bit uh, different than uh, a lot of the more modern tracks. But it's still a, a good race to, to go and watch. And so we'll, we'll see what happens there. And uh, like I say, I think that... Uh, this is going to be one. If you're going to put money down on someone to to win this one, I'm going with uh, with Valtteri Bottas. I mean, that's a good it, pick. I mean, it, it's still so far down the road. I mean, I don't. I haven't even looked to see what tire choices the teams are making. We don't even know how they what sort of setups they're going to go with. But uh, I think that Mercedes is going to go all out to help uh, Bottas win that race, and the same in Abu Dhabi. I mean, it's going to be the same story for the next month.
1: Yeah, especially the fact that Toto Wolf at the end of the race in uh, Mexico City. He was so mad about the performance of his car and his Lewis Hamilton that he did not even say anything to Lewis. He did not even say congratulations. did not even say anything. He just let things are because he was mad still. The guy's a competitor, and he <laughs> wants to win every single time around. And he says, yeah, the the, the most important for visibility and for for everything else is the driver's championship. That's wrapped up, but we still need to win that construction championship. So don't be surprised if... Uh, Mercedes are actually performant in the Lex two Grand Prix.
2: Well, considering uh, th- how dominant that they've been over the last third of the season. Yeah, well, I mean, it's always hard to bet against them. And uh, why would you start now? So uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that uh, next week. But I think, uh, Kevin, that's all I really got for the moment. Me I'm too. all I'm all talked out for this week. You know, I got to go back. <laughs> And get the, the the Halloween decorations ready because uh, today's the big day.
1: Today's the big day, October 31st. What are you dressed at? Do you have an a F1-related costume? If you do, tweet us at ScuderiaF1Pod on social media. I'm at I Me, mean Mark's at, at Mark with a K, J-R, daily. And make sure you subscribe to our show anywhere you are, anywhere, everywhere you get your podcast. And we'll be back uh, soon with another edition of Scuderia F1 podcast, the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Mark, have a good evening.
2: Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.
0: Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 Podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. Juicy sizzling steak, hand-tossed original dough, a four-cheese blend, and Papa John's Creamy Signature Philly Sauce. It's like the best cheesesteak sandwich ever, but way better, because it's on a pizza, which means you can share it. So, show some brotherly or whateverly love and get yourself one today. Right now at Papa John's, get a large Philly or any large specialty Papa John's pizza for just 12 bucks. Yes, 12 bucks. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. At participating US stores, prices may vary, taxes tip and fee extra.